Get ready to jumpstart your scientific career with practical advice on being a successful and contented scientist. Each episode of the Happy Scientist podcast delivers hands-on, actionable steps you can take to ensure you stay happy, focused, and satisfied in the lab. Available on all popular podcast platforms, hit the subscribe button and start your journey towards a more fulfilling scientific career. the happy scientist podcast each episode is designed to make you more focused more productive and more satisfied in the lab you can find us online at bitesizebio.com slash happy scientist your hosts are kenneth vote founder of the executive coaching firm vera claritas and dr nick oswald phd bioscientist and founder of bite size bio Hello and welcome to the Happy Scientist Podcast from Bite Size Bio. If you want to become a happier, healthy, and more productive scientist, you're in the right place. Now normally about now you would be hearing from Nick Oswald, the founder of Bite Size Bio, since he is generally the host of these podcasts. But today, I'm going to be guest hosting. I'm Kenneth Vogt. I'm the founder of the executive coaching company Vera Claritas, and the reason I'm hosting today is we have a very special guest, Dr. Nick Oswald. We're going to be <laughs> we're going to be interviewing Dr. Nick Oswald on a very important topic, and this is a topic that that he has spoken about from university stages. And it is this: Is the lab the only way to be a scientist? Now, this is a important topic because there's a lot of ways to have a career in science. The lab is certainly one of them, but it's not the only one. So you might be wondering, well, what are the other possibilities? Well, you're going to find out when we talk to Dr. Nick Oswald, because not only does he know about the topic, he's lived this topic. He has been in the lab, and he did leave the lab, and yet he continues to be in science. So you might be asking yourself, wow, how can I do that? I would love to have that possibility in my life. So, so that's what we're going to discuss today, and we'll... We'll begin with um, a, just a straightforward question to Nick. Why did you start out in science? And did you have a clear idea of where you were going to go in your career when you started? Yep. I Well, my very first um, inkling, I was extremely, um, I had two first inklings of uh, what I wanted my career, my career to be. And the, I, the, I was very sure about the direction and about, you know, the, the destination. And that was, I wanted to be a football player, a soccer player, and a rock star. What one after the other. I, younger was a football player, then I realized that my feet didn't work in that way. And then, <laughs> uh, and then I wanted to be a rock star. And I was actually, up until I started doing my PhD, I was still convinced that that was the way to go. And I was about to go touring in my band at the time and everything. Um, and then, then life took over. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, as far as science went, then um, I, I knew from quite early on in high school that I wanted to be a scientist. It was just something that um, that interested me. My at the time of me being in high school, my mom actually was um, my mom was studying to be a nurse, so she did it from scratch. So did science, did a um, 
you know, half a science degree and then into nursing, nursing. So that was around me in that kind of formative years. And I just found it quite interesting. And I thought it explained the world fully. It was great. So <laughs> I thought I was definitely going to do that. Um, and, and it kind of, that, that, so that say about age 13, 14, I was pretty fixed that that's what, what I wanted to do. And that then what lasted for about 15 years or something like that. So that I wanted to be a scientist in a lab. Great. Now, uh, we may have to have an, another entire episode on how to be a rock star, and Nick is also qualified to talk about that, but uh, you, you probably heard mention of some of that stuff in, in past episodes, and I'm not going to drive into it right now, but <laughs> but it's an interesting topic. As long as you put rock star in quotes. <laughs> well, something you just said is, is pretty interesting, this notion that you had that I wanted to be a football player and a rock star. Because the, the notion sometimes that we have is that, well, I can only do this one thing. If I'm going to be a scientist, obviously, I can't be anything else. There's no possibility. That's not necessarily true. You may find that you do have room in your life for multiple things, and that's part of why um, structuring your career is so important, to leave you room for other, other areas of expression and other, other ideas. Now, another thing, okay, I, I was just going to say that that's an interesting point because at the times when I, you know, that, that's a joke and I always start those careers talks with these were my first career aspirations, but it's a, and it's just kind of a joke, but it, it does illustrate something that you just said there at the time I wanted to be a footballer. That is all I wanted to be at the time. I wanted to be a rock star. That's all I wanted to be. And then I'd want, I decided to be a scientist. That was all I wanted to be. And then it's come full circle to actually I, I wouldn't like to be a rock star, but there are some elements of that that I want to have in my life. There are some mm -hmm. elements of science that I want in my life, and there are other things, and I can mix them up. It doesn't have to be one thing. Sure. Another thing you, that uh, I heard in your comments that's interesting, and, and many people may relate to this, how many of you made these choices when you were a kid? You know, Nick's talking about being 13, 14, and deciding then be a scientist. Now, you're an adult now. Did, did you make a, a good choice as a child? <laughs> I mean, you, you would have made a choice from a childish viewpoint at, at that moment, but um, it doesn't mean it was a bad choice. But then again, your, your rationale for what you chose may be completely different now. So it was, yeah, it was. I mean, it turns out that it was a good choice, but in the mm -hmm. end, I think that one of the core tenets of what I would preach about career development is that there is no one way and, right. and that there is no, there's no bad choice unless you really box yourself in. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And, um, and it happens that what happened, what, um, setting out on the journey into science gave me was that it put a series of options in front of me. I took some of those options and I saw other options. And moved mm -hmm. on and moved on from that and 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 the whole kind of my whole kind of career advice would be based on look for the options and keep moving in the direction that that excites you the most and right. put the work in so in that regard i think with any starting point you could get where you wanted to go i mean look at where richard branson started for example mm -hmm. um nowhere and um so although there, uh, and it's the, uh, what mind, what boxes you in it is the mindset is not having, uh, for me anyway, is the, the idea is not kind of 
being conscious that you need to keep options in front of yourself and then blocking yourself off. Right. Now, I imagine you and everyone else out there who's ever worked in a lab would agree with this statement. You didn't get there by accident. You had to work hard to get into the lab. Would you agree with that statement? Um, yeah. Uh, the, I think that certainly it's easier for some people than others. For me, I, it was it was definitely a study hard scenario. And um, my daughter's just got uh, come out from, you know, her first round of exams in high school with six A's. And everyone's like, yeah, that's, of course, it runs in the family. I never got an A in my <laughs> life, you know? <laughs> so, um, Weird. Yeah, don't broadcast that. Nobody knows. No, but it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter though. It doesn't matter because it's um, you know, it's it's what you do with what you've got. That's <laughs> the important thing. Exactly. But, but yeah, to get into the lab, it, it, well, to, basically all, all you have to do here is get a, a decent um, undergrad degree and you're off. But that it takes some dedication and some work. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, it's okay. Not, I don't. I think it's a bit overhyped. It's not. It's not. Rocket side, we're not making rockets. No, okay, maybe that's maybe that's maybe that's doing it a disservice. But it was hard work, but not. Gonna have to point you back to the episode on imposter syndrome. <laughs> that's the Scottishness. Downplay everything. Well, so uh, the, the reason I brought that up is I, I kind of wanted to segue to another question because you, you did make an effort to get into a lab, and many people have, but yet you ended up out of the lab and in bite-sized bio. So how did that happen? It was kind of like uh, my career path went in ever decreasing circles or like a spiral into closer to, and closer to what I wanted, I think. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, the, the kind of potted chronology is that, so I finished my undergrads. I did, I, I was torn between, do I tour with my band um, or do I try and get into the lab? I wasn't sure whether I wanted to be in the lab, so I tried to get um, a job in, as a technician. Uh, I found that impossible without a PhD, no one wanted to look at you. So I spent six months, I decided not to tour with the band. We probably weren't good enough anyway, but maybe maybe that's imposter <laughs> syndrome. And um, and I, I tried, I applied for every technician job that was available. This is Scotland, not you know the West Coast of the US, so there's less options, but still, I couldn't get anything anyway, uh, for whatever the reason was. And I ended up working in a supermarket for six months. Um, well, I'd been doing that all through my undergrad anyway. And so I, and so I contacted the university that I did my degree in, which was my hometown university, asked if they had any PhDs. They said, we have one left. And, <laughs> and so I took it. <laughs> That's not how to choose a PhD. Um, <laughs> so I went and it, it was certainly an education. Let's put it that way. Um, for good and bad reasons, and uh, I slogged my way through it. I didn't enjoy it, um, uh, and by the end of my PhD, I made the decision that I didn't want to con cont continue in academia anymore. And mm -hmm. but I still wanted to. I still wanted to. I would say I, I was going to say I still wanted to be a scientist, but I'm not sure whether it was that. It was just that I couldn't really think of another option that mm -hmm. excited me. Oh, that's yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I was applying for jobs as a forensic scientist as well, but I couldn't uh, seem to make that break either. Um, so I got a job in industry. I went into mm -hmm. industry. I got. A, I really landed a fantastic job in a company in Denmark, um, who were making um, we were making automated uh, devices for drug discovery. We were inventing them from scratch, which was mm -hmm. really 
really unusual and interesting job to do. Uh, I stayed there for a couple of years. We had to move back for family reasons. I got a job. Again, just default, what, what do I do? I'm a molecular biologist. I'll apply for molecular biology jobs. I got a job in another great company here in Edinburgh. Um, and I was in there for six or seven years. But I, all through that time in, where, you know, in industry, I was kind of like, this is an okay fit, but it's not a great fit for me. I don't, I'm not very green fingered. I always um, tended towards training people, towards helping other people do well, you know, to get the most out of themselves. And that's what mm -hmm. interested me. And so 2007 blogs became a thing. And, and I thought I saw other people making blogs about things that they knew about and uh, making little businesses out of them. And so mm -hmm. I thought, well, let's give that a go. So for three years, I worked in uh, still working in the lab and as a hobby. Well, it was more than a hobby because I was getting up very early to write these things. I would I had two small kids at the time, well, one small kid at the time. And so I would get up at like 5 a.m., write for two hours, get everyone ready for in the morning and go out to work. And I did it, thank goodness at the time, I did it, I, I, you know, I, for once in my life, I had some discipline. I did that. <laughs> and <laughs> um, yeah, and bite size buy grew its own legs. So the decision to kind of, you know, that's one big junction point for me in, if I look back at my career path is that I just decided to follow something that inspired me. And because I was inspired, I was able to do something stupid, like get up at 5am every day for a year and write <laughs> blogs. And, but I was really excited about it. So it gave me the energy and, um, and then it took, took its own path. But even if Bite Size Bio itself hadn't have been successful, um, just getting involved with Bite Size Bio and what I learned and the connections I made would have changed my, uh, my job, my career trajectory anyway. To, towards the direction that I wanted to go into. So yeah, it's an interesting um, junction in, in my career, I think, if I look at it, is just making the decision that I wanted to do something different and then acting on it. Mm -hmm. So here you are getting up at 5 a.m. You have no idea where this is gonna go or if it's even gonna go anywhere. Were you happy? Uh, I was tired, but I was really excited because I thought this it's, at that point, the blogosphere, if it was you want to call it that, was uh, and actually publishing in general was kind of like the Wild West, and where it was there was just it was in such disruption that there was the, that there was a lot of opportunity there to establish yourself. And and for some reason, I latched onto that. I saw that I could see other people doing it, and I thought I I was really excited about doing it. Um, so. In a way, happy. In a way, very tired. But yeah, still, I was I was glad to have the direction because before that, I was stagnating in the lab, and I was looking around. I was applying for stuff. I wasn't getting it, and it was kind of a bit sad. <laughs> Got it. So now it's years on by. It's, shoot, you mentioned two thousand seven there, um, and here we are in twenty twenty one. Are you happy with it now? Uh, <laughs> it's. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely different. <laughs> I, I'll put it this way: I, I did make the right choice. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that it's easy or all hearts and flowers. It's a challenge to do this, but it, I, I would say it's a challenge that I enjoy, enjoy, and 
it's mostly on my own terms. So I really appreciate that part of it. All right, cool. So um, now that now that you've had the, the experience of going through this, is there anything you would have did different? Would you change how you how you've approached it all? It's a bit like, okay, I used to, when I was doing my PhD, right? I lived on this road in <laughs> uh, in Dundee in Scotland, and to get to my uh, to get to the lab, I had to walk up this hill. It got more and more steep as I went up it, as we went up it till, till, till you got to near the top and it was just ridiculously steep. And I always used to think that this was like the, um, the illustration of what a PhD was like. <laughs> that, and, and because you get three quarters to the top, you, you're committed. So you have to go and do that hard bit anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, but I think that I know when I look back at my PhD, it's something that I'm really glad I did. But, um, I wouldn't want to have to go back and do it again, but I would if I had to, if you see what I mean. And it's sure. exactly the same with the business. The business has been like you know, running Bite Size Bio as a business or developing it into something that is commercially viable has been exactly the same experience uh, where it was just, it's something that there's been a lot of enjoyment, a lot of difficulty, a lot of sweat involved. Um, and I wouldn't do it differently, but I wouldn't like to have to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. So you've taken what maybe we could call a non-classical path in science. You're not, you, you didn't, you know, graduate and head to a lab and stay there for the rest of your career. Um, so what would you say to somebody who'd like to be on that path themselves? I, I would say that, uh, you know, that classical path is, is actually probably, you know, the classical path in quotes, the you get a job, you, you, you get your PhD, you go in a lab, you, go, you, you do a post-grad, postdoc, you blah, 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 you carry on, get a, a lab and all that stuff. That's actually probably the minority, minority of scientists do that now because there are so many people doing science in so little, um, you know, comparatively little uh, positions, especially senior positions. So the first thing I would say is, to realize that if you're wherever, you know, if you're at the early stage of a scientific career, realize that that path is an option, but it's not like it used to be. I think that the mindset when, certainly when I was in undergrads, which was admittedly quite a while ago, um, last century, as I like to say, um, <laughs> then uh, it was t- it was kind of like, well, this is probably what will happen. It's a bit unusual to do something else. Uh, that will have evolved from then, but I think that the prevailing mindset is still it's still in the background that we still call them alternative careers in science, mm-hmm. and it's not it's actually just careers in science or careers that you can launch into from science. Yeah, that's a, that's a very important distinction there. The fact that that those that, that career path in academia or you know a parallel career path in industry exists doesn't mean that it's, and again, that talks to what you've put, made the, the title of this talk, is the lab the only way to be a scientist? Or is it, I would say, is, the lab, is a career in the lab the only way to um, develop your career, your, your science-related career? Because <laughs> I wouldn't consider myself a scientist anymore because I'm not doing science, but I certainly have a scientific background, so I'm in the industry, so I can understand, have some understanding of what it needs, and I can apply my skills to that to add value. And that's what a career is. How can you add value to whatever sure. industry you're in? So w- would you think it'd be fair to say that 
perhaps it was a naive understanding of the world that might have caused you at one point to think that the only way you could go forward is to be in the lab. And maybe that was never true. Maybe that was never really the likely path. And we would have to broaden out our understanding if we wanted to make a life in science. I think that that's partly true, but partly not true. I, I really genuinely loved the, the idea of being a PI and, and stuff and, uh, you know, um, having my own lab and, and stuff like that. Probably I had a naive, bit of a naive understanding of what that would entail. But mostly for me, mostly what didn't fit for me was I, it just didn't excite me uh, when mm. I started doing it. And so then I couldn't put in the, I couldn't put in the, um, the overdrive, if you like, that, that the people that, that really excites can do. So it's difficult to compete. But mm -hmm. when, when, I, when I found the thing that really excited me, then I was off. Then I had the jet fuel and I could do it. I could do it myself. Great. But I think that, so I think that having that kind of, you know, you're, you're 19, 20, 21, whatever, and you can see this path and you think it's exciting. I think that's, that's perfectly fine. And I mm -hmm. think that nowadays there's more awareness made of, you, hey, this might not be a career in the lab for you. I mean, that was there um, mm -hmm. when I was doing it, but I, I thought that I would do it. I thought that, that I would, I thought, of course, I thought that I was going to cure cancer and stuff. That was my, <laughs> you know, that was the way that I went into it. Um, but I think having an awareness that, that what this is about isn't about, isn't a pathway as such. It's, it's a series of choices and you can relax into that and just keep looking around. I think what people and I certainly was guilty of that at a couple of points in my career. As I didn't look around, I just took the next default step. Mm -hmm. And, uh, for example, when I took a job as a molecular biologist, when I was kind of sure that I didn't enjoy science very much, I didn't enjoy bench work very much, mm -hmm. but I needed a job. And so, right. so I did that. Um, and so it's, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's about really getting your, your, keeping your options open and being aware that there are other options at all times and just keep on choosing, keep making conscious choices is the important thing rather than having that naive, here's a pathway, follow it. And if you fall off, you're one of the unlucky ones, which is the kind of was the prevailing wind when I was involved in that anyway. Like what you're hearing? Ready to supercharge your scientific career? Discover practical advice on what it takes to be a successful scientist without sacrificing happiness. Learn the importance of meeting your human needs, identifying and unlocking your charisma factors, discovering your core mindsets, and much more. Subscribe to the Happy Scientist podcast and download the Happy Scientist reference pack and get started on your journey to becoming a happier scientist today. Subscribe now and check the show notes to download. So when, when you were first learning, especially when you're first in university, I'm sure you saw some things as here are some foundational things I need to learn. I need to learn about chemistry. I need to learn about molecular biology. I need to learn about basic biology. And you thought of those as the fundamentals. But what have you actually found are the real fundamentals for a career now? Yeah. So, I mean, for me anyway, and it's about being happy um, and, and, and about, which is why, one of the reasons why we have this podcast, The Happy Scientist. Mm -hmm. And and for happiness, it's about not fitting yourself to the job. It's about, that sounds naive. 
because you can't always fit your fit the job to you know you can't uh, make the job fit you. That's what I've done, but I did it in a different way from probably. Uh, I was going to say it might not be available, to, but I, I guess it is available. How, how would I say that? So, what are the fundamentals? Absolutely, we are here to inspire Nick's competition. We would love to see what the next wave looks like that makes bite-sized bio look like it's like it's old school. <laughs> <laughs> that's coming. <laughs> it is coming. Well, that's why. That's why bite-sized bio keeps trying to be new school. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, that, that's a different matter. But the fundamentals are to keep. You know, again, I would say go back, make your own choices. Uh, you know, or keep making conscious choices. Keep looking out for. Are you inspired? Are you enjoying this? Mm-hmm. Um, when you're putting in extra work, does it feel like a joy or does it feel like a slog? And if it feels like a slog, then you're probably not putting your efforts in the direction of something that would inspire you. So have a look around. And it might take uh, different, you know, it might mean taking a step back and before you take a step forward. Um, mm-hmm. But most of all, it's just you need to have something in front of you that's inspiring you. So whether at one point for me it was, I'm going to cure cancer. Mm-hmm. That was like great. Okay, so I need to know all this stuff, and that that drove me. You need that gives you the jet fuel, and then that wore off, and so right, I need something else. I need another thing to aim for that'll that'll help me propel in the direction, and again, that that helps you to marry up to what's exciting for you and what and what you enjoy, and then, you know, just keep seeking skills that could help you. You know, keep adding skills. Don't stay in the same rut. Keep trying stuff. I mean, when I was in the, in, at the bench, I would always try different ways to do things and different ways to, you know, improve my systems and improve my protocols. And I guess hopefully everybody does that, but and maybe that's, you know, um, teaching granny to suck eggs or whatever that expression is. But it, it's all about don't just follow other people. Make a, believe a path for yourself. And one other thing as well about, you know, that keeping things in front of you you know, about, to, you know, keeping, staying inspired, looking for opportunities is, and I saw this at my kids' school, it was a careers thing, and I can't remember what the exact stat was, but it was something, it was either three out of 10 or eight out of 10, but let's say it was three out of 10. Three out of 10 jobs haven't even been invented yet. Mm. Three out of 10 jobs that could become available to you haven't even been invented yet. And actually thinking back, that's what happened with me. Blogging, the internet hadn't been invented when I was an undergrad. Well, it had been invented, but it hadn't developed into anything when I was uh, when I was an undergrad. And so, if you don't keep your eyes open, then you miss these opportunities as they come up. I don't know whether that's too fluffy, but um, that's that. That's what I just keep saying to my kids. It doesn't matter what you study. I mean, do you, it doesn't matter what direction you set, you set yourself in, as long as you keep inspired and you just keep trying your hardest. You keep putting your most into it. So, so one thing I, I keep hearing here that I think that some people are going to react to, um, how is this not just being totally narcissistic? You're like, all that matters is what makes me happy and, and what I like. And, and I, I, how do you answer that, that, that criticism? Uh, for me, it's, well, it's that whole thing about if you can't put the, you, you know, you're sitting in the plane, the auction mask come down. You uh, you put the auction mask on the person sitting, the kid sitting next to you, and you fall over because you don't have any auction. You have to look after yourself first. But at the same time, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing, I'm not uh, 
running a loan sharking business or I'm not, um, <laughs> you know, a member of, the, of a, you know, whatever, a criminal gang or something like that. I'm, I'm doing something that where I, that I genuinely think is, is my best contribution to this industry. Mm. And the best contribution that I can personally make with my specific skill set and my specific, um, you know, desires. If I'm doing something that, that, if I'm working in a job where I'm not happy, I am not going to be able to give my most to that. So that, you know, that that might be that you know, working away at something that you're not enjoying and kind of self-flagellating to keep going on it, even though you don't enjoy it. That's not narcissism, but it's kind of what is it? It's kind of self. It's martyrdom, I suppose, in a way. Right, right. Yeah, this this reminds me to of the first three episodes of the podcast talking about human needs, your own human needs. You need you do need to be aware of them, but you need to be aware of them for the the point that you make that so that you can do your best and presumably your best for the good of all. You know that the science is here to serve. That it's that's it, just that simple. Science is not self serving. It is. It is all outbound. So if you're going to be a part of that, you're going to have to, you're going to have to stoke up your own fire so you have something to give. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. The best you can give is the thing where you are on fire, you know, right. and and you're not on fire unless you're inspired. Sure. So so let's look at the opposite side of that then. And what would you say are some of the common barriers you see that stop people from evolving their career in a healthy way? Um. Well, if I look back to myself, then, um, so I, while I was still in the lab, I wanted to get into, I kind of had an idea that I wanted to get into some sort of publishing or training or something like that, where I wasn't at the bench, but I was supporting the people at the bench, which is what I was better at. And one of the things that, that kind of made me stay, you know, took, made, made it take a while for me to get out of that was, that I, what I did was I just thought inside the box, if you want to use a really trite expression. Um, I just, what I did was anytime I saw a publishing job come up, I applied for it. Anytime I saw a, a job that was training, I would apply for it. And maybe I would do some speculative applications and think I was doing really well. And those, mm-hmm. that's a fine thing to do, but I didn't start to get any results until I, until I started um, thinking a bit more laterally. And as I alluded to earlier, even just writing bite-sized bio, you know, I picked up the keyboard, the pen, started writing, started getting a little bit of traction. Even if no one had read this thing, it meant that then I could go to a job interview and say, well, here's my blog. And this is what I want to do. Um, you know, this is what I'm interested in. I can hear something that I've done that's out of the ordinary. And... Um, and so that's evidence that I am, you know, you know, although I don't have experience in publishing, I am self-starter and I'm, I'm motivated and, and all that stuff. And that, yeah. that was enough for me to get the, I, my first move out of the lab was uh, as the, I, I got a job as a journal editor. Um, and, and literally the thing that set me, that got me that job was, was Bite Size Bio. And then I subsequently got a job for another publisher as a consultant. They came to me, which was quite astounding, and for me anyway at the time, and you know, and offered me a consultancy job because of Bite Size Bio. So again, however that maps onto people's individual situations, um, will be different. But the thing, but one of the you 
you know, one piece of advice would be to just try and think as laterally as possible and don't be boxed in by only the opportunities that other people are presenting you. Obviously, take mm-hmm. a look at those opportunities, but see what you can make for yourself. Even if it's just small, you can start something. The, the famous quote that I always say is that Bite Size Buy was started by a 500-word article. And, yeah. um, and that's what got it moving. And, and it's still one of the biggest articles on the website 14 years later, which is quite funny. Yeah, and it's, well, that, that goes to show it was enduring in some Yeah, but anyway, I mean, that doesn't map onto everyone else's situation, but the, right. the kind of core message is, is, is try and just rattle the cage, do what you can to start making some momentum for yourself. And then mm-hmm. the other thing that could have stopped me, but luckily didn't, well, to be fair, as you know from the conversations we've had over the years, it could have stopped me at any point in the last 14 years is fear is is fear of the fear of taking the next step into the unknown. Mm -hmm. You have to trust yourself. You have to just shoot and, and try and keep, keep shooting. And if stuff doesn't work, keep taking shots. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, you know, uh, that's that, I think that that is probably the number one reason why people um, don't get where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, is because they settle for something less than what they want. They just stop because it's too scary or... Right. They try one thing, it doesn't work out, so they, just, they don't try again. Yep. Or, or or they keep going, they just run out of steam, and maybe part of that could be that the thing that, you, that you're aiming for is not inspiring enough for you, so it doesn't give you enough jet fuel. Ah, yeah. So, you know, you've met, we've mentioned, obviously, being in the lab is one possible career path, another is publishing. But are there other possibilities for what somebody might do and still have a career in science? I mean, there are endless possibilities that probably, um, again, a lot of them probably haven't even been invented yet, but, um, you know, that will appear in the next five, ten years. So it's important to keep your eyes open in that regard. But, there's, I mean, people, there are other people more qualified than me to talk about the variety of options. But And, and I think, to be fair, that universities now are much better at, showing showing people what these options are you know there's any traditionally for you know when i was at university it was you know you could do anything from you can move into marketing you can be an accountant you could be a lawyer you could uh, you know specializing in science all sorts of stuff um but it just grows every year there's more things every year um mm-hmm. that you can do and there's also probably more option to uh take risk and do something for yourself as well, uh, year on year as well. Right. Well, well, there we have it. And, you know, folks, if you go to, if you go to LinkedIn and you look up Nick Oswald, you're going to see a pretty interesting resume. But I'll, I will venture to guess that there are plenty of people out there with interesting resumes. They've done a lot of different things. And it's, that's, that's not actually all that exceptional. It's what happens. It's how you make your career. It's how you're, career becomes more rich is because you try different things and and some of them stick and you can't worry about the fact that not all of them stick sometimes you try something and, and you know it, it it runs its course and that's the end of that well that's fine move on to the next thing all right well then i will ask you then nick uh, the final question is there anything you'd, you'd like to say to to wrap up this notion of how to have a career in science um, I would say uh, one other thing that we can do as as people rather than scientists <laughs> is try mm-hmm. it and take in, um, like one thing I've done over the last 10 years is read hundreds of books about different aspects of 
perform, when you're getting the most out of yourself, different ways of looking at the world, different ways of, um, you know, ways to live your life and so on. And those uh, just, again, it stops you from getting stuck in your own perspective and, you know, gives you, I think what I've, one of the most important skills I've developed is to try and be, again, I, I'm not putting myself as anything like the, there, there's still plenty of flaws there. I, I'm not meaning like that, but that I'm quite able to kind of look at other people's point of view and see how it would work if I looked at it in that way, if you, if you like. And so that means that you can drive you can derive value from literally anyone's perspective on the world if you can get yourself to do that. Yeah, it's a shortcut. <laughs> yep. And so one book that I would, you know, that sticks out above the, the rest for me, that is an accessible way to break open how you look at your your career. It's a book called. Um, okay. This, so again, this isn't a perfect fit for science, but these things don't have to be. You just have to be able to take, lightly take on the perspective and see how that can inform uh, what you do so or the way you approach things. So this book is called, Be, it's a catchy title, Be a Free Range Human, Escape the Nine to Five, Create the Life You Love and Still Pay the Bills. Okay, so this is about, you know, running your own business, which might not be what people want to do, but actually that's just a marketing thing. Fundamentally, it's about uh, what is a career and what is a job and how can you add value in a way that suits you and, uh, and still, you know, you know, give, you know, be a contributor to the world. Right. We'll, we'll get a link to that into the show notes. It's by a woman called Marianne Cantwell. So again, it's one of these things, there'll be bits that you read it and go, oh, no, but ignore those, just taking the good parts and, uh, <laughs> and see if it does anything for you. Yeah. Just like when you were in grad school and you were sitting there in lecture, <laughs> it's all the same. Yeah. All right. Well, excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much, Nick, for letting us pick your brain and and being being a uh, guinea pig for those of those out there that would like to see what a, how else they might develop their career in science. And since you walked the road, it's nice of you to share. Yeah. Thank you. I enjoyed that. You're a good interviewer, Ken. Should do oh, that more often. <laughs> Well, we will. Next, we will have to do one in the future on you as a rock star because there's plenty to talk about there. <laughs> well, and it will apply. I will make it apply back to science. I promise you, it's going to work out. So I know Nick is skeptical right now, but I'm not. I, I mean, I'm going to make this happen. All right. So there's a few other things then to to mention at the the end of this episode. Uh, of course, you can always come uh, see more about the Happy Scientist at bitesizebio.com/slash the happy scientist you'll see every episode listed there and uh you can you can dig in you can you can uh you can talk to us we can we can have some conversation back and forth you can also find us on facebook at facebook.com slash the happy scientist club so there's there's a couple different ways that you can interact with the the content here the happy scientist and we want to remind you that the first nine episodes of this podcast are fundam fundamental. They are foundational principles that everyone should learn, and you, should, you, really, you really ought to take the opportunity to listen to them. The first three are on human needs. The second three are on core mindsets. And the final three are on charisma factors. Now, if any of those things 
spark something in you, if you care about what you need, if you care about your mindset or other people's mindsets, and if you think charisma might be useful in your world, you should check these out because um, you'll you'll probably have noted we refer to them all the time, but but there's there's so much there just in those episodes that we couldn't cover just by a comment in in, in uh, ongoing episodes. So please go back and listen to those one through nine and get an understanding of these life-changing concepts. And hopefully, as a result, you can be a happy scientist. And I would say if, the, if your charisma doesn't feel like a thing that you want that interests you or whatever, get over it. Just listen to these things. In the spirit <laughs> of, of what I said about the Free Range Human book, just try and absorb this thing, that, stuff that people are offering you and get what you can. If you get one thing out of everything you listen to, one tiny grain of, of aha or progress or whatever, then, then it's worth it. Well, there you go. Well, you've heard it from the horse's mouth today, folks. So we'd like to thank you for, for visiting us. And so at this point, we'll sign off. So thank you, Nick. Thank you, Ken. Okay, bye now. The Happy Scientist is brought to you by Bite Size Bio, your mentor in the lab. Bite Size Bio features thousands of articles and webinars contributed by hundreds of PhD scientists and scientific companies who freely offer their hard-won wisdom and solutions to the Bite Size Bio community. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode and want to keep learning practical tips on being a happy and successful scientist, don't wait any longer. Subscribe to the Happy Scientist podcast and download the Happy Scientist reference pack today. And together, let's reignite that passion for science that first got you into the lab. Remember, you can find us on all major podcast platforms. So hit that subscribe button now and check the show notes to download.